0: All right. Well, uh, we are in First John one uh, this morning, and so um, just a couple quick things. First of all, if you were part of the work day yesterday, I'm looking at some some tired eyes and some sore backs. Thank you, guys, ladies, all who showed up. I uh, talked to Ken this morning. I believe he said it was uh, potentially, if not our biggest work day ever here in terms of the uh, the number of volunteers and the amount of work that got done. And so, so thankful that you guys love your church. Um, in that way, and that you love the church enough to show up on a Saturday, give up your time to serve and to work hard, chipping tile and grout and hanging doors and cutting up brush and cleaning up storage and all the things that you guys did. So, hey, from my heart to yours, thank you. Special thanks to Ken uh, Forsyth and Nick Hill who put it together and organized it. You guys are great. Thank you, thank you, thank you uh, for all the work that got done yesterday. Um, 1 John chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. We're going to continue our sermon series, Even Sinners Such as I. Uh, today we're going to talk about what it means to walk in the light. Starting in verse 5, I'm going to read 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you. That God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. They were going to be talking about what it means to walk in the lie, and talking about why it's so hard to own and to confess sin. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, my wife was driving in the car with our youngest in the back seat, Calvin, who's seven. They were having a conversation about owning sin, and, and uh, Hallie, my wife, was taking this opportunity to, to talk about the gospel and to teach our youngest about what it means to own sin, and so she went first and said, you know, hey, mommy makes mistakes too, mommy sins too, and here's some things that mommy has done um, that, that Jesus is working on in, in me, and she named some things, and, and uh, of course, he's listening intently from the back, and she's uh, asking him, now, what are some sins in your life, Calvin, that you could own? What are some things that you think God is working on with you? And the first thing out of his mouth was wrestling. I think God wants me to be a better wrestler. And so <laughs> God is working on that in me. And she said, no, 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 let's go a little deeper here. Uh, and so she's getting real animated um, in the front, like, no, Calvin, think deeper. What are some things that you know, you know don't please God that you want him to work on in your life? And so he confesses. I argue too much with my brother and now we're having this aha moment boom wow like if we could just say one thing we want removed from our household it's the boys arguing and so she's like this is great so she begins to talk about the gospel and how Jesus saves us from our sins and removes these things from us and he said but mom every time you do this I can only think of nacho libre (laughs) she might as well just roll down the window and the whole conversation just went out we think about confessing sin, we struggle to confess sin, don't we? We struggle to own mistakes. And yet, here in 1 John, we're reading about this call, as John writes to the church, to own sin and to not own sin is ultimately to call God a liar, to say God is lying. And he uses this analogy of light and darkness and talks about how if we claim to walk in the darkness but yet we're not the truth is not in us we're lying and ultimately calling God a liar and he says church listen walk in the light as God is in the light what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about this light and darkness and what is meant as John writes this to the church anytime you get an analogy or a metaphor in the Bible you've got to be cautious that you don't just apply your own meaning to what's being said here the idea of light and darkness is all throughout the scriptures, as specifically referring to who God is. God is considered to be a being of light, and that, that idea um, reflects and reveals to us a lot of things about God, that he is perfectly pure. There's no hidden ways within God. There's no sin in God. There's no deceit within God. God is perfectly moral and pure. His knowledge is perfect. He never struggles for words or meaning or, or tries to figure something out. He has a perfectly pure knowledge. His wisdom is whole. It's, it's illuminating and it is light in the midst of darkness. And so this idea of light gets used to describe who God is and apply it in different ways. And so what does John mean here when he says to the church that we are to walk in the light as he, God, is in the light instead of walking in Darkness. Let's walk through this together. Verse 5 this, me- this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. Now, the apostles use that phrase, Paul uses it a lot uh, to let us know that he's sharing something with us that he received firsthand from Jesus. Okay, and so this is what John is saying. We're proclaiming something to you. I'm writing something in my letter to you that I got from Jesus himself directly. And what is that message? That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, we would say, okay, John, we agree with that. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. But how are you applying that in this text? Because then you start talking about us. So we need to know... What are you saying about us, John, that as a church we're supposed to be perfectly moral and pure and never make mistakes? Are you saying that our wisdom has to be perfect like God's wisdom, never struggling to figure things out? What are you saying about us? Because we agree with you, John, God is light and in him is no darkness at all, but that could mean a lot of things, according to the Bible. So verses 6 and 7 is really where we're going to start to dig in. So from verse 5, we get five if-then clauses. If this than that. You like the timing with the lights? There you go. If you're listening online, the lights just flickered off and on as I wave my hand. And it won't it's not doing it anymore. All right, so verse six, if here's the first one. If we say we have fellowship with him. In other words, John says if you are claiming to be a Christian, claiming that you walk with God, you're a praying man or woman, Right, Whether it's with your words, or you got the t-shirt, or it's with your church attendance, or it's with the, you know, the little Igthu stickers on the back of your car, or you're carrying your Bible around. Whatever you're saying with your life, if you're claiming that you walk with God, yet you're actually walking in the darkness, then you're lying, and you're not practicing the truth. Now, I need to know what that phrase, walking in darkness, means. Because I'm a little nervous here. What are you saying, John? If I'm claiming to be a Christian, which I claim to be a Christian, and yet not living a perfectly moral life, then I'm a liar. Is that what you're saying, John? Or do you mean something else by walking in darkness? Verse 7, he says, But if we walk in the light, which is the opposite of walking in the darkness, as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another, And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Now, ultimately here at the end, John's pointing us to the gospel. That somehow, right, walking in the light versus walking in the darkness has to do with having my sins forgiven and being cleansed by Jesus. And somehow that impacts my relationship with you. Now, this is so important for us to understand about the gospel. The gospel is this. You and I are sinners by birth. We have a sin nature. We are born bent towards rebellion from any authority, especially God's. We're bent towards obeying our own wants and desires, and nobody else's, including God's. And that's what it means to be bent towards sin. Okay? Every one of us in this room was born that way. We're sinners. Okay, Some of us are more professional at it than others, but... We we're, we're all, we're all meet the standard and qualifications of what it means to be a sinner. So the gospel says we're all sinners. And because of that, because of God's love for us, he sent his son Jesus to earth to live a perfectly righteous life without any sin. Then he goes to the cross and dies a sacrificial death in our place. And after he dies, three days later, he resurrects from the grave displaying to us his power over both sin and death, walks again on the earth for a period of time, letting people see him in resurrected form, and then ascends back to the Father. And the gospel says that if we believe that, if you believe that Jesus is God's son, he came to the earth, lived perfectly righteous, died sacrificially, resurrected from the death, you will be saved, forgiven of all your sins, cleansed and Saved. Now, here's what's so important for us to hear today. The implications of that are really twofold. First and foremost, that establishes a relationship with God for you. When your sins are forgiven, rather than hiding from God because you're embarrassed, because you feel shame, or you feel guilty, which is what we do when we're not saved, now that our sins have been cleansed, now we walk in a relationship with God what he means when he says if you claim to have fellowship with God right you walk with God okay so that's the first implication of the gospel for those who have believed. but the second one which is also embedded in this text which is so important is he's not only talking about fellowship with God because he says that in verse six if you came to claim to have fellowship with him but the second implication is what fellowship with verse seven one another it's so important for us to understand this Jesus died on the cross to save you, forgive you of your sins, to establish a relationship between you and God. He also died on the cross to forgive you of your sins, to establish a relationship between you and others. So, it's not a full understanding of the gospel to say, I've been saved, but I don't need the church. I've been saved, it's just me and my homie Jesus, the rest of you can take a hike. Now, we, I get it. Right The church is full of sinful people. Who wants to be in fellowship with sinful people? lest we forget we are one. And so this is what John is saying. The full implication of the gospel here, right is that when we walk in the light, we, we have fellowship with God and we have fellowship with one another. This is why James chapter five, the first part of verse 16, says this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Think about that. Confess your sins to one another. Now, here's what's so beautiful about the gospel. As Jesus dies on the cross for us, um, Ephesians 2 says that the hostility, all the reasons why you and I don't get along, all the excuses we have to not live in fellowship with one another, those all die with Jesus on the cross. He killed our hostility against one another. So that means then having a difference in personality, a difference in personal preferences, these excuses shouldn't keep us from walking in fellowship with one another. I'll take it even a step further. Even when we sin against one another does not justify you and I not walking in fellowship with one another. Matthew 18 is this beautiful passage and teaching from Jesus on restoration and reconciliation. When you've been offended, as a Christ follower, you have an obligation to go to the Christ follower who offended you and let them know. And then at the end of that teaching, Peter's like, well, how many times do we have to do this, Jesus? Whew. Seventy times seven? Or, se- or seven times? And what does Jesus say? No, 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 Peter. Seventy times seven. Seven. And what is he saying? He's saying, listen, Peter, if you come to the place where you understand the grace and mercy God has poured out on your life to forgive you of sins, then there's going to be this natural bending of that out towards one another. And there's never going to be a sin against you more grievous than your sins against a holy God. Think about that. And so John is saying that something about walking in light and walking in darkness impacts our fellowship with God and our fellowship with one another. Verses 8 through 10. Now, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He actually says that twice. If you look down at verse 10, he says, if we say we have not sinned, We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So several times John says this, and so when he talks about walking in the light, he's not talking about walking in a sense of perfect morality, never struggling with sin. He can't mean that, because he says right here, right? He doesn't want us to misunderstand walking in the light. Walking in the light does not mean you are perfectly moral and have it all together and never sin. So he must mean something else here, right? Walking in darkness must mean something else, If we say we have not sins, we're deceiving ourselves and ultimately we're calling God a liar. Now verse 9 really is the heartbeat of this passage and probably the verse you're most familiar with. Verse 9 I really think is where John wants to take us. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So rather than this misunderstanding that walking in the light somehow means I need to be perfectly moral in front of you, really, because that's a trap just waiting to go off, isn't it? Right? Because if I have that misunderstanding of walking in the light, now I'm a brand new Christian and I'm so optimistic I'm never going to sin again, then I start hanging out with you right, and you get on my nerves, you frustrate me, the next thing I know I'm sinning, now I've got a problem, whoa, 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 I'm not, whoa, the rest of them look like they have it together, I don't, and so what do I do, I'm going to start hiding, because I don't want you to see the real me, and that's a false understanding of what it means to walk in the light, so here in verse 9, he's telling us what it means to walk in the light when he says, here, you want to walk in the light, confess your sins, Really, I think the most helpful word in this whole passage is the word confess. What does that mean? Now, this was originally written with a Greek word that we translate confess, and there are several different ways or layers to this word. Listen to how we can translate this word. It means to say the same thing as another. That's what this word, that's one rendering of this word. So somebody says The wall is tan. Somebody else says, I agree, the wall is tan. That's a rendering of this word to confess. Now we're going somewhere, track with me. Here's another way to agree with. Sky's blue, sky's blue. It's hot outside, it's hot outside. We agree with one another. It also means to concede. It also means to proclaim out loud. When you put all of that together What John is calling us to do, he's calling us to concede and agree with God and the gospel. That's what he's saying, church. You should know the gospel better than anybody. The gospel says that you are sinners in need of a savior. When you confess your sins, you're conceding. You're agreeing with the gospel, right? So if I claim to be a Christian, yet I'm never confessing and owning sin, I'm saying two different things. On one hand, I'm saying I'm a sinner needing to be saved. On the other hand, I'm saying I've got my life together. I don't need forgiveness. I don't need mercy. I have it together. It's as ridiculous as a person saying, I am dying of thirst, and you hand them a glass of water, and they say, no, I'm good. I'm not thirsty. You'd go, which one is it? Okay? Now, that's the same thing. That's what he's saying. If you claim to be a Christian, and yet you're walking in darkness, it's like saying, I'm super thirsty. Oh, by the way, I'm not thirsty. You would go, well, that doesn't work. John says, listen, church, we've got to understand this. When you walk in darkness, in other words, when you walk unwilling to confess sin, unwilling to repent, unwilling to own sin, right? You're calling God a liar. You're not conceding or agreeing with the gospel. And then I love this promise. When we confess our sins, he, who's the he? God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is so helpful for me. Think about this. How can God, being infinitely loving, punish people and send them to hell? Maybe you've thought about that. Maybe it's a question you've asked. How can God, who's infinitely loving, also punish And send people to hell. I want you to think about another question. The converse of that. How can God, who is infinitely just, let sinners like you and I into heaven? And so, we've got an issue that needs to be resolved here. Is God infinitely loving? Or is God infinitely just? And here's what the gospel would say to us. It's not either or, it's both. How do you reconcile that? If he's infinitely just, he can't let sin go unpunished. Every human being must give an account for their moral record. If he's infinitely just, he can't just let things go or sweep them under the rug. But if he's infinitely loving, how does he punish people eternally? This leads us to the cross. The cross of Jesus is the place in human history Where the justice and the love of God collide and converge in one place. Hear me on this. You want justice? Look at the cross. Why was the cross so brutal, so painful, so ugly? Isaiah says that the cross would be this thing that men would want to hide their faces from. It's going to be so brutal, so dark, so ugly, so painful shrouded in so much suffering and we watch the passion of the Christ or we read the gospel accounts of what happened at the cross what are we reading about why was it so brutal and so ugly because God was pouring out his justice he was punishing sin and so you say well how can God also be infinitely loving because this is where God's son says I will take their place For God so loved the world that he sent his only son to the cross. And so at the cross, we both see God's infinite justice and his wrath poured out, punishment for sin. And yet we have God's son saying, listen, pour it out on me, not them. Infinite justice and infinite love converging and colliding in one place on Jesus at the cross. And so when John says, listen, church, when we confess our sins, let's not forget, God's both faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so ultimately, what John is calling the church to do, now think about this, this is the church, he's calling us to concede and to simply agree with the gospel, and to not do so is to walk in darkness. Follow me? Darkness. Darkness is what Adam and Eve did right after the first sin. They they begin to hide from one another and cover themselves up. Broken fellowship. Right? Darkness is what Adam and Eve did with God. They begin to hide from God, broken vertical fellowship with God. And if we believe the gospel, we believe two things. Two non-negotiable things. One, I am a sinner. And number two, Jesus died to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. It's both. To concede to the gospel. Now, our hope for this sermon series this summer is that God will do a work in us as a church. That he will call us out of darkness and and into the light to walk in confession of sins as we read about in James 5. To be able to name our weaknesses and to say, this is where I'm struggling. This is where I am today. And in that, to allow the gospel and to allow the church to meet each person where they are. And what we're reading here is that this is a powerful place where God does a work in us. Now, it's the opposite of the way the world operates. I don't know how many of you have been to court before. But when you go to court and you stand before a judge, your main responsibility is to convince him and or the jury that you're innocent right? Or if you're not, to convince him or her or and the jury that maybe you are guilty, but from this point forward, you're going to be innocent, right? One of those two options. I need you to be lenient on me because either I didn't do it or I'm never going to do it again, right? That's your two options here. But God calls us to take an opposite approach to the judge's seat. He says, come to me, stand before me and my gavel and own your sins, and here's the remarkable thing. You'll walk out of here free. It's the opposite of what would happen in a court of law if you did that, right? If you just go in and go, well, here's where all my mistakes were and all the details you don't know about where I messed up, right? You're going to go, boom, guilty, boom, prosecution. Right? The guy says, that's not how I work. You come to me. You walk in the light. You bring your sins to me. And as a loving father, I will both be faithful and just towards you. You can trust me. I will cleanse you of all unrighteousness if the church of john's day need to be reminded of this surely surely we do too surely we do too to claim to have no sin in your life is essentially to call god a liar and to declare that you have no need for the gospel the gospel calls us to walk in transparency with God and with each other. John's saying it. If you claim to be without sin in your life, you're, you're really kind of a joke. And let's just set some of this little side conversation real quick. The rest of us can see your sin anyway. Can I still it out there? I know you're dressing it up and you're trying to pretend like you got it together. We, we see it. Man, not all of it in the fullness of where it extends to, but we know you're not fooling anybody. You're deceiving yourself and you're calling God a liar. Ultimately, to live as though there's no sin in our lives is to live in disbelief of the gospel. To walk in darkness. Church, God is calling us to walk in the light. It's why I've asked our elders and our staff to go first and sharing their testimonies and their stories with you. This morning you're going to get to hear from one of our elders, Ken Forsyth. And uh, after Ken's uh, testimony video runs, um, I'm going to ask our worship team to be back up on the stage. And I'm also going to ask our prayer partners to be at the front of the room and at the back of the room. Anything going on in your life that you would like for somebody to pray with you about, they're here for that. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, and you would like for somebody to talk with you about how to become a Christian and pray with you, and making that decision, our prayer partners are here for you in that way as well. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to run uh, Ken's video. Let's pray together. Um, Father, we thank you that you are loving and just. God, thank you that despite us, you have made a way for us to walk in relationship with you. And uh, God, this reminder this morning that because we have this access into your throne room, that God, you're calling us to walk in and honesty, and transparency, and authenticity, and ultimately to walk in the light. Father, I know the temptation is to hide from one another, to try to hide our sins and try to fix them on our own. God, the temptation is to believe the lie of Satan, who would say to us that if anybody knew our sins, they wouldn't love us. God, those are our, that's what we're tempted to do, but this morning, you've reminded us that to believe the gospel is to know that, God, you have taken care of our sins in such a way that there's no more shame and no more guilt, and so we can openly confess where we're struggling, God, knowing in faith that you're gonna meet us there and continue the good work that you've begun. Father, we pray that you would make us a church that believes the gospel, that you would, God, do that work in us, that we could become a people who walk in the light. We pray all this in Christ's name.
1: Uh, my name is Ken Forsyth, and I've been here at uh, Solid Rock since uh, October of 1986, and uh, I've been an elder here at Solid Rock and uh, since 2001. And certainly, one of the greatest joys of my life is serving as an elder, and it has been. Well, I became a believer in, uh, and trusted Christ in, in 1981, and I, was, of course, was here in, in Fort Worth, Texas, and. You know, just a short version of that uh, was, as a course of it, I look back. It's just the way God used uh, my wife and uh, other men to uh, share the gospel with me, and uh, my wife certainly. With the, uh, uh, I think it's Second Peter three one, where it tells the wife to uh, to live a life that honors Christ and to submit to the husband, and you know, in a good way, of course. And she did that and uh, I wasn't, wasn't a believer. And then uh, each place that she would go, we would go together, I was in the military. Uh, she would unite with the church and uh, when we had the opportunity to move back to Fort Worth, uh, she uh, of course united with the church and it was a very ev- evangelical church and some men came and shared the gospel with me and that same week they shared the gospel then I trusted Christ. Christ has rescued me from uh, uh, drunkenness, uh, you know, from lying, from uh, the idol of control, certainly anger. When I didn't have control of something, I would get angry. Uh, Foolishness where, you know, it's just all about me. And, uh, you know, as I listed all those, and I I asked my wife last night, I asked Patty last night, I said, hey, if if there's been one change in my life since I've been a... Christian I said what what is that one one change that you've seen in me and uh, I put all these sins into this one sin and and she said you're you're not the selfish person that you used to be so I know that God has rescued me from that it certainly is an ongoing you know sin it pops up at times and uh, yeah I think certainly my marriage at the time at the time we had uh, 11 years, our first 11 years of marriage were really, really bad. I mean, I just have to admit we were both miserable, but when Christ rescued me, you know, it was a process. It still showed up. I was a very, still a very selfish person, but, you know, as I continued to grow in Christ, you know, he kept showing me what he had done, you know, because I was one of these guys who certainly wanted to work, you know, for my salvation, even though I had salvation but uh in my marriage for sure uh it was all about me you know i fished every weekend i did whatever i wanted to do it was all about me and uh, you know some of those uh sins that fall under selfishness they went away immediately Uh, but uh, and god certainly has the capability of doing that just instantly you know we're a new person in christ and he did that with me in many areas the selfishness is, uh, I guess as Paul Tripp would say, it's the DNA of sin. God, through His grace, has shown me He's in control, that He is sovereign. And uh, I'm so thankful for that. You know, when you try to, when you try to be in control, you're, you're miserable. We cannot be in control, you know, and think that everything's gonna go fine because of what we're doing. Because just the experiences I've had in life, you know, has shown me over and over and over again. I don't do a very good job, and I was so thankful for my wife because she experienced this with me. And when I asked her that, she said that uh, what you know, my heart, what's in our heart certainly comes comes out. But the fact that she said you're not that selfish person I used to know, and that's not me. That's Christ in me, and. Uh, Certainly we know the scripture, if there's anything that's good in us, it certainly comes from Christ. But through God's Word, you know, through His people and through uh, uh, community and prayer, God, you know, He shows me sin and uh, certainly stops me from sin because of His Word. It's, You know, I learned uh, quite a few years ago, there's absolutely nothing I can do to change myself. You know, it's not about... Uh, well if I go out and run around the building 10 times and I won't have anger you know it's not about that it's just about knowing Christ and Him you know I I think about the uh, the scripture that says uh, you know if I said I have no sin I'm a liar but when I do sin I I have an advocate and it's the Lord Jesus Christ so but all those things the community is so important to me because uh, I was a guy who was just Jesus and me, you know, and, and we're fine, we don't need anybody else, and, and Christ showed me that was, that was not true, you know, and uh, I still even put that under the, the uh, uh, category of selfishness, you know, because it's just all about me. Not relying on myself to uh, eradicate those sins, but relying on God and everything He is in me. prayer of course. I think the two are inseparable. Uh, The community of God, you know, uh, I mean, just this morning I met with four men, you know, who encouraged me, who uh, uh, just through their actions and through their desire to serve God, you know, they call me out on sin, you know, sometimes not even knowing it. And uh, just certainly uh, the worship of God you know, together is the body of Christ, all of those things together, you know, Christ helps me to know him more. And then through that, the Holy Spirit can work in my life. I'm amazed sometimes how I uh, respond to things now compared to the way I used to respond to them. You know, that's definitely not me. That's Christ.